church. How are you today? There's a beautiful atmosphere in the room already this morning. So I just like to keep that calm and stillness for a minute. I've had a pretty passionate week. Um, and like not in a great way. for me, right, is just like a surge of emotion that stirs my soul and stirs my spirit in a way that makes me feel out of control. And that has been this week for me. Whether it can be positive, I think it can be, or it can be heavy or negative, and that was what it was for me this week. And I think what is lovely about our God is that where there is passion, he has compassion us with compassion. Whether our passion stems from his joy, he meets us right there with joy. Or whether it comes from pain or discomfort, he meets us there with comfort and peace. And so I had to do a lot of personal digging this week and meet myself face on with parts of myself that I am unsettled with lended his compassion toward me. And he continues to do that. And I know that if he does that for me, he surely does it for you, whether you've recognized it or not. And so today we're singing songs, um, of course. <laughs> we are worshiping our God with music and sound. And the songs that we are singing are about just giving him praise, about raising a sound to glorify him. And on weeks and days like today, that can be quite difficult because worship often sounds like joy. And if you aren't feeling particularly joyous, it can feel inauthentic to worship. But again, where there is passion, he is compassionate. And so sometimes I think that lyrics like these are about the cry, the prayer, the request of our disappearance for his glory. That we could fade out from ourselves and be seen only as his, be seen only as him. And so this first song has a lot of lyrics and they are ministering if we allow them to be. They are glorifying to his name if we choose for them to be. I hope that you will be met there today, whether it is in joy or in pain. Inside. 
of that sound to the Lord, something is done in the spirit. <clears throat> something is unearthed in us in the spirit. Something is met by him in the spirit and healing happens in that place. I believe that. <clears throat> and that's all it takes sometimes is a sound. And so in this next song, we're going to be singing one of the names of God, which is Yahweh. We're going to sing it what seems like repeatedly. It doesn't seem like it. We're going to sing it repeatedly. Um, but I wonder if you could let that word be different every time we sing it. It's going to sound the same. But if you could let your spirit, let it be different every time. God is going to meet you. That he is going to meet you. And whether it's a little bit or a lot, I know and I pray that you will be changed. That I will be changed. And that regardless of the change, that he will be wholly glorified. Because he is worthy. we love you. We love you if we can say it with our hearts. We love you if we can say it with our lips. We love you if we can think it in our minds. We love you if it's one of those. We love you if it's all of those. We love you in silence. And we love you in sound. Yeah. 
one thing remains your name Yahweh 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 one name one name remains the same one name remains the same Yahweh 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 one name one name, one name remains the same. One name remains the same. Yahweh, 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 one name. One name, one name remains the same. One name remains the same. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. One name, one name remains. One name remains the same. One name remains the same. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. One name, one name remains one name remains one name remains one name one one name, 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 one one name, one name, one name, one one name, one name, one name, one name. I remember your name. I will remember your name. I will remember your name. I write it down so I don't forget. And I will, I will remember your name. I will remember your name. Because it doesn't change. one name when time began there was one name when the fall happened there was still one name when Jesus came and lived on this earth there was one name when they put him in the grave there was one name 
when he rose up from the grave one name and every day since then we've been hanging our whole hope on one name one name and one day you will come back we'll see you riding back and one name one name one name will be written and i know your name Above every name, above every name, above every name, the name that's always stayed the same. God, thank you for giving us your name. We know the names of so many things. We know the names of so many burdens. We know the same of the name of so many distractions. We know the name of so many politics. We know the same of no, the name of so many sicknesses, God. But there is one name that is coming back. It's not done. And we will recognize that name. And it will be above every name that we struggle against in the here and now. That name will come above those names. And this morning, God, that's the name. That name that Margo was talking about, God, through all of the passionate days we hold. And I thank you, Father, that you don't just teach us our name. You actually do teach us your name because it teaches us about you. So thank you, God, for being patient. But God, so much thank you. So much thanks for being in the midst of us today, just when we uttered one name and it wasn't our own. We just focused our eyes on you, God, and I thank you, Father, for being in the midst of us, for continuing to flow in the middle of us, Father, as we flow into your word. May we sense the holiness of you just the same, if not more, God. I thank you, Father, for a church that is leaning and listening and learning and falling and getting back up. Father, I thank you for the gift of worship. And we will not stop saying your name, Yahweh. Amen. Amen. Wow. I didn't even know. I think I started off. When you open your eyes up here, sometimes you're... <laughs> what you were teaching, which was disappearing for the sake of his glory, to do what it just did. I'm grateful. Thank you, church, for following him, because it doesn't matter if we all sit in this room and observe. We have to partake. We have to engage. We have to exchange. 
We have to look around the room and see that there's, like, it's insane. We're all going through it, but we showed up, and so did he, and I'm grateful for that. And I know, I think I'm supposed to let the children go. I'm so out of sorts right now, I can't, I can't contain my own self right now. So I'm going to go take care of our puppy. That's what we do on Sundays now. We, we all switch duty. And I'm going to run down there, and I'm going to get her, and I'm going to welcome Kay up to the platform. Oh, man. I, I don't know. Look, by the way, you didn't have to be in this room in order for that to be. Uh, I was worshiping in the front. So it, it's, there's something about the name of Jesus. There's something, about the there's something about the name of Jesus. There's something about God's people gathered together. It's great online. Like, I was down there, and it was awesome. But, man, when I walked in this room, there's, whew, there's something about the presence of a king. There's something about being in a throne room and not just being in a room. And, and I really, that's, that's the power of showing up. And, and this isn't about trying to get people to church because you're already here. It's about reinforcing why. Like, there's something powerful about being in the room together. There's something powerful about seeing someone else lift their hands and clap and sing and cry and cry out to God in the midst of what they're going through. And this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we, not we connect church, we the church. This isn't a connect church thing. This is a we church thing. The Bible says when we gather together and praise him, not only does his presence fill the room, but he begins to dance with us. Dude, our God gets jiggy with us. That's so cool. No, it is really cool. Like, when you think about, because in our mind, I know, or at least in mine a lot of times, God is kind of a, a, a standoffish God, or at least maybe a stoic God. Stoic. Like, he's proper. He's like, he's more comfortable in England, right, with tea. He's proper. But he's not. He, he shares the same heart that David shared when David danced before the ark. And his wife was all upset with him. She said, how can you be so undignified? And he said, you think I'm undignified like this? I can be even more undignified than this. Because there's something about dancing. There's something about singing. There's something about letting go. That's who God is. He comes and invades this place. So I'm really glad you're here. Look, if this is your first or second time here, thank you for coming to Connect. Thank you for being a part of uh, this community of faith. And we pray you make it a community of faith for yourself. If you're online today, shout out. We love you. We know you're at home getting ready. I know some of you, look, we love you guys. Thank you. Hey, as you're being seated, give somebody next to you a high five, an air high five. Tell them it's good to see them today in the house of God. So good to see everybody today. I'm really excited before we hop into the Word of God. I want to give a shout out to my brother, Chris Stevens, right here. First of all, he's wearing a throwback right Randall Cunningham jersey, which is just in and of. By the way, don't notice that I didn't notice. Don't think I didn't notice that that's signed on the back, by the way. It's beautiful. But Chris was nominated last week for a Grammy uh, for his song, Get Up. And I just want to give you a shout out, buddy. What an honor, bro. What an amazing honor. Thank you for using your gift. Thank you for using your gift for the world. Thank you for using your gift in this house. Thank you. Because it's a sacrifice, I know, of praise. 
It's not just doing what you do. It's doing what you do for the glory of a king. And uh, if you don't know, if you, don't, if you never got a chance to be around Chris, take him out for lunch one day. Pick up the check. Take him out to lunch. <laughs> and just listen to his story. Listen to him and Shayla's story. Because this is, it's a story about how not just to uh, be church people, but to be men and women who are sold out for the king. And that comes at a cost. Yup. Everyone celebrates the Grammy moment, but they don't know the road to the Grammy moment. And that's what, we're, that, that's what we celebrate with him as well. So, man, we love you, buddy. And uh, I know there's, a, there's some sort of game on today. I don't know what's happening today. By the way, I am surprised to see some of you here. I just want to let you know, I know I'm surprised. I'm not calling out anybody's name, but you know who you are. No, it's really good. Um, just, so, just before we hop into the word, I just want to let you know there's no forged meetings this week, uh, or shoulder to shoulder, I don't believe, because, uh, look, we understand it's Valentine's Day uh, week, and uh, you're thinking about relationships or, or whatever, and, uh, and also, hopefully, we have a parade. So, uh, you know, we'll pick it up next week. It's, uh, by the way, can I just, God's okay with having fun. Like, I think sometimes we're like, God's not, a, no, God's okay with it. Matter of fact, God invented it. It's the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. Like joy. That means he's happy. Joy. That's a good thing. Well, I plan on being joyful today. Both now and later. Somebody say amen. Now and later. Now and later. Now and later. Hallelujah. Um, but I'm ready for the word. I really am. And uh, because it is Valentine's Day week. And, and uh, look, we're, we're still in a kind of a post-pandemic world trying to figure out how to do relationships in a new way. By the way, I don't think we've ever really figured out how to do relationship, um, and so the more that we talk about it from a kingdom perspective, the better, because our world, our generations, not baby boomers, not Gen Xers, not millennials, not Gen Zers, none of us understand how to do relationships right. Somebody say amen. None of us, because someone's like, no, we know, we know, it's every other generation that doesn't know. No, you're as messed up as everybody else. So, look, since you have your Bible, why don't you open with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus. It's written by Moses. It's the story of God bringing his people out of slavery and oppression, which is a picture of our life in, in, uh, in, in sin, and into the promised land, which is a picture of discipleship, abundant life in Jesus Christ. It's this beautiful picture. And if you need a title for uh, my message today, it's, it's Arms Ain't Wings. Arms Ain't Wings. Now, I know it's not grammatically correct. Before I get an email, I know it's not grammatically correct, right? But as every one of us knows, who as a kid put on some towel, wrapped it around our necks, stuck our arms out, took a running leap off of the porch, and fell face first in the bushes trying to be Superman, know that arms ain't wings. Doesn't matter how much you want them to believe they are, want them to be, no matter how hard you flap your arms in order to try to get airborne, you're going to fall. Because arms alone, listen to me, arms alone can't lift you up. This was something that Pastor Danielle said to me. This came from a conversation Dee and I were having the other day as we're talking about life and relationships. And how to live them in both a healthy and holy way, not only for ourselves, but to build those type of relationships with people in our lives. And I think it's gotten uh, even more complicated as we have gotten older. 
And uh, she, she said this phrase to me. She said, look, God just spoke to me about that and said, arms ain't wings. And she said, I know it's always weird because when God speaks to me, he sounds like he's a mob boss, right? Arms ain't wings. You know, arms ain't wings. And no, but look, look, what she said was insightful. I'm going to read it because this is what she said. She said, the weight of our arms and the burdens they carry will always weigh them down. We can lift up our hands on our own for a short time. But our natural self is not designed to and cannot carry the weight of life and relationships alone. We cannot treat our arms like wings and get crushed every time we take a leap of faith in life and come crashing down in the bushes. Our arms are not wings. We cannot carry relationships healthy and whole on our own. We need help. We need help. This isn't something unusual or unknown to us. It's there in the Word of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, in the wisdom of Solomon, the wisest man ever to live outside of Jesus, he said this. He said, two are better than one because there's greater return for their toil. If one man falls, there's another there to help him up. But if he falls and he's, and he's walking alone, woe to him. Verse 12 goes on to say this, that one man can be overtaken if he's attacked by an enemy, but two can withstand the attack of the enemy together because a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands. What does that mean? Because he was only talking about two. A cord of three strands is this, me, godly people. That means people who want to fight for me and not against me. People who want to lift me up and not bring me down. People who are, uh, people who are givers and not takers and God. When I have those three things in my life, it's really difficult for my life and relationships to be broken because there is spiritual principles at work for our life. And we're going to see this in our text today. So let me set the stage really quickly because I know we've, uh, we've talked about this verse uh, in different ways at different times. But the Israelites are, are leaving Egypt, going out of oppression of slavery, and they're headed to the promised land. Right? Which is a picture of abundant life as disciples in Jesus Christ. The promised land living. But along the way, they find themselves attacked by the enemy. And this is a picture of us. This is a picture of us. We were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to our sinful nature. And God, the, the Passover lamb, rescued us. And we got out. And we're on our way. We're on our way to promised land, abundant life. And along the way, we will be attacked. We should never be surprised that in our relationships, there's issues. We should never be wonder why in church, as we as a people are headed towards the promised land, there's attacks outside and inside. Why? Because this has been proclaimed before. So, Moses, so God tells Moses, go on up into the top of the hill. You pray. I'm going to let Joshua get in the valley and do the battle. Now, we know we all have a Joshua of our own in the valleys, doing the battles for us. His name is Jesus. But what we do, just like Moses, on top of the hill matters. What we do on top of the hill makes a difference. Can be the difference between victory and defeat in this life, in this world, in these relationships. That's why we need to learn from this. The Bible says this in Exodus 17, 11, whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, as they do, as all of us do. So they took a stone, come on somebody, and put it under him, and he sat on it. 
He was unmoved. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands were steady. His hands were steady. How many just want a steady life? His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed, uh, overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Verse 15 says, so Moses built an altar there and called it Yahweh Nisi. Come on, come on. The Lord is my banner. The Lord's my banner. Now we know that this is a picture of God's plan on how he's going to save his people. 1,500 years before Jesus would be the banner of salvation, God was giving his people a picture that they could look to to find salvation. The Bible says that, that, that while he was, when the enemy was attacking, Moses went up a hill just like Jesus went up Calvary. And he sat on a rock. The rock is always Jesus in the word. And he held out his hands. And it says this is the picture. This is the banner of salvation. This is how you shall be saved. 1,500 years before people needed to know. Before there was even crucifixion invented. God was giving them a sign of what victory could look like in their life. What I love about it, by the way, is that her is from the tribe of Judah. And Aaron is from the tribe of Levi. He had praise on one side and he had the priesthood on the other. He had praise on one side and the priesthood on the other. This was a banner of salvation, but it's also a banner of how to live a saved life. How to overcome the battles that we all face in our lives. How do we do it? We need healthy relationships. We need an Aaron and a her in our lives. And I promise, my friends, when you and I start to get some praise God people rather than some oh God people, come on, you know what I'm talking about. We have some oh God people in our lives. I promise you, when you start getting some praise God people on one side and some priesthood people on the other, people who will praise God with you and will walk in the power and the anointing and the word of the priest, the high priest of God, there will be victory and abundance and change in your life with you and others and with God. The issue here, even before we go any further, is that there are Amalekites, what we have to understand is that there are Amalekites attacking us at the center of every one of our relationships. Everyone. With Jesus, with others, with our friends, with our co-workers, with our spouses, with family members. Do you remember where the Amalekites come from? They're descendants of Esau. Their family but their family that despise the birthright. They are not walking in the birthright. They are not walking in godliness. They have the name family. Come on, somebody. They have the position family, but they are not walking from the power of the birthright of that family. They're not engaged with how God sees life, how God sees future, how God sees relationship. I think how many of us know that sometimes the issues that we have to face are the people or the things closest to us that aren't established in the birthright of the kingdom. They're not established on the rock. They've got the name, they've got the position near us, but they're not walking in the birthright. They're not seeing things from the kingdom perspective. By the way, something that I thought was interesting is that the teachers of the Torah taught that the Amalekites in the Old Testament represented doubt. They represented doubt, people that would make us doubt, things that would make us doubt, doubt God's word, doubt, doubt God's ways, 
doubt how God is said to have a holy relationship, a healthy way of kingdom approach to living, to being. He said, man, we've got to recognize when we have those people, that those people the closest to us, it's going to produce doubt in us as well as in them. And the reality is it's not just that we need to deal with these issues that undermine our relationships so that we can live in victory, but because as so many of us can attribute, so many of us know, it is the brokenness that happens from these broken relationships from these Amalekite type of relationships that brings doubt into us and into others. It brings doubt on how we trust God, how we see his kingdom, doubt about church and how we live life together. It builds walls in our life. It creates defensive mechanisms to keep ourselves safe, but it keeps us in prison and robs us. It keeps us living in the wilderness when we should be living in the promised land of abundance. That's what ends up happening. Why? Because it births doubt. It births doubt. Can I be honest with you? I have never once wrestled with my calling. Never once wrestled with my calling. But I have definitely wrestled with whether or not I want to keep walking out my calling because of the pain that I felt from people. People I've led into my life, people I've hurt because I haven't dealt in the right way because I at times haven't established the birthright I never wrestle with the calling but I've doubted whether I want to keep walking it out maybe you're not like me maybe you've got it all figured out and you've never gone through it but I would dare to say there's more like us than not so here's what we can learn we can see something from Moses that Moses knew that he couldn't do it alone. And I think we've been talking about that over the last little bit about the we that we've been talking about. We can't do it alone, right? We need each other. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who isolates himself seeks his own desires and rages against all sound wisdom. That's not a good thing. We've been talking about the fact, the biblical principle, that the Bible says there are no long-range Christians. You can't do it alone. And that's certainly a principle that I think that we're starting to understand in our world. Moses didn't only understand he couldn't do it alone. He also knew he had, the people with him had to be lifting his arms in the right direction. You and I have to know that the people closest to us are people who are lifting our arms in the right direction. They're uplifting. They're elevating. They're lifting upwards. Come on, somebody. They're not dragging down. They're lifting upwards. Have you, they're, they're praise God people. These are the praise God people in your life. Have you ever noticed God's direction is always upward? Lift up your head. Lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does your help come from? Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Come on. Uh, be, lift up. Encourage. Support. Carry each other's burdens. Encourage one another. It's about uplifting of things. That's the reality. In this moment, we've got to understand the truth of the picture even at a deeper level. Her means pit. Aaron means light bringer or carrier of light. And we've been talking about this in Forge, how we can become carriers of light. Moses means draws out, by the way. So this is the picture. The one who's making the sign is drawing us out of the pit and into the light. That's a beautiful picture of what God is actually doing for us. But when it comes to relationships, the challenge is we need support, come on, on both sides of the rock. The Bible says Aaron was on one side on purpose, 
and, 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 and her was on another side of the rock. Why? Because we have both sides of the rock working inside of us and in every relationship that we have all the time. There's the side that brings light and health and wholeness and holiness, and that's the si- our spiritual side, and that is awesome. But in every relationship, we have the other side of the rock, which is the pit. The pitfalls that are in each of us, the areas that all of us struggle with, our natural fallen desires, the things, the areas that have been skewed by past experiences and by past brokenness, the pitfalls that happen in every relationship. So we've got the light and the pit. We see it in the Bible. The rich young ruler had the light side covered. He was all good. He did everything right spiritually. But he didn't have somebody who was calling him on his ego, on his pride, on his self, and so he fell in the pit. And then on the other side of that, on the, one of the thieves on the cross, he had loyalty. Man, I got my boy. My boy is loyal to me. He is ride or die. Yup, that's where he ended up, dying. Because there was no spiritual life to it. We can't just have one side. Man, I'm going for God, but not have anybody lifting up the side, calling us on the issues of our pit, trying to help us elevate out of what we naturally think about ourselves or the past experience or the brokenness of our past or the unforgiveness that rests within or the offense that we're still holding on to. We need a her and we need an Aaron at the same time. That's why when people say to me, oh man, my marriage, I'm having marriage problems. I'm like, no, you're not. Marriage has no problem. The problem your marriage has is you too. It's what you bring into the marriage. So tell me how to have a better marriage. I don't know. Let me fix you. Right? No, no, no. I don't need that. I need you to give me marriage advice. I am. Right here today, I'm giving you marriage advice. I was just telling our team lately um, how amazing it feels in Danielle and I's life right now that we have people around us who are Aaron and hers who not just are lifting up our arms, but we've started to create in our lives space where there aren't others close enough to us to drag our arms down. Because we can't have just one or the other. We can't just have a spiritual life, walking in God's anointing, believing for that, but leave the pitfalls of our life unguarded. Many years ago now, I was walking uh, at night in Kiev, one of the cities I love, and I was walking... Uh, with a pastor friend of mine down by the river, by the Napier River. We were walking along the side there, and it was dark there. And I was walking with Pastor Zhenya, who I love. He's just awesome. And we were having a blast. We were talking about what God was doing and, and what God had done all weekend at service and everything. And what I didn't know, because it was dark and I'd never gone that way, was there, there was a missing manhole cover in the middle of the path. It's a true story. And literally, I'm walking, I'm talking to him, and as I go to step out, Zhenya grabs me and pulls me back. I would have been dead if I was walking alone. See, if you're going to go down a path you've never been before, you better have somebody that's already been down that path successfully. It didn't matter how spiritual, what happened that weekend, and how many people got saved, and how supernatural the events were. If I was walking along down that path, I wouldn't have seen the pitfall, and I'd be dead. I'd be at the bottom of a river. And that's what we do in the natural so often and wonder why. We're being broken and battered. But the challenge is, how do we know who to walk with? Who to take up to the top of the hill with us, right? 
Who's going to lift up our arms and who's going to pull them down? And that's a good question. And I think we can learn from Moses some things that will help us with that. I think the reality is that Moses, first and foremost, was trying to keep, wasn't trying to keep the peace. He was trying to make peace. And sometimes when you have to make peace, you got to go to war. I think that one of the major issues in our world today and how we do relationships, especially in the 21st century, is that we don't want to offend anybody. We, we, don't, we want everybody to be happy with us. We want everybody to be okay with us. And I know that's an issue for, for me. It's an issue, I'm sure, for many of us because our soul is set on keeping the peace. I just want to keep the peace. I, I, don't, I don't want to rock the boat with anybody. I want to keep the peace. I want to make sure they're all right with me. We're cool. It's all good. I don't want to upset anybody. And the problem is not only is our soul trying to keep the peace because it likes to stay in control, but we end up compromising holiness for happiness. And then we deceive ourselves into believing that this is spiritual, just being like Jesus. No. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Not the peacekeepers, the, pay, the, the, the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. Moses was on top of that hill because there was a battle going on. That battle would create peace. Not the absence of fighting the battle. Because Moses knew there was a battle going on for the success and health of his people. And he recognized the danger that the enemy would be if the enemy was allowed to stay in proximity to his people. He saw it clearly. This is why Ephesians 6, 11 says we got to put on the full armor of God. Why? Because there are schemes of the enemy out there. There are Amalekites attacking our relationships at every level. And because they are attacking, my friends, can we just understand this one truth? There, there's no room to negotiate. You cannot negotiate with terrorists. Whether they are people, come on, or ideas, or concepts, or culture, you and I cannot negotiate with the enemy. Why? Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.27, do not give the enemy, the devil, one foothold. Now don't get me wrong. This isn't about identifying someone as the devil. They're just the devil. But it's identifying what the scheme of the devil is that's trying to keep you from being what God created you to be. This isn't new. It happened in the Bible. With Jesus and his disciples even. Like that's how high up this goes. Those dudes were awesome. And it still happened. Matthew 16, we've been talking about this a lot, about the birth of the church. Peter had just said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, yeah, Pete, you're awesome. You got that revelation from God. That's really good. Then he goes, I want to tell you how I'm going to build this church. I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to, go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be dead for three days. I'm going to raise from the dead. Peter says, not on my watch. That's not how it's going to go. I'm not going to let that happen. That's not the way that I see relationship. That's not the way I see life. Jesus says, listen to this, in Matthew 16, 23, he looks at him and goes, get behind me, Satan. How many of you know that's not a compliment? Your pastor comes up and goes, Satan? You'll be like, what's up? What's up? What I do? Satan, get behind me. He says, you're a hindrance to this relationship. Because you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of man. And because you have in mind the things of God, I've identified the scheme, and I will not keep peace with it. I will not. Peter, I love you. And because I love you, I ain't agreeing with you on this. 
I can't get in peace with this because there's no peace there. Jesus explains it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 13, when he sends his disciples out. He says, look, when you go to a house and you find it worthy, let your peace remain there. But if they're not worthy, take your peace back. Bring your peace back. Let your peace return to you. Now, I know the argument's going to be, well, what makes someone worthy and what makes someone not worthy, deserving or undeserving? Good. That's a great question. Let's go back to the word. That, he, that Hebrew word, that Greek word, I'm sorry, for worthy, actually comes from a word that means this, to bring up the other end of the scale. Do you know what makes someone worthy? That they are bringing up their life from being down to being up. They're uplifting. They're coming up to where you are. They are raising faith. They're raising hope. They're raising the way that they see life. They're not asking the scale to come down to them. They are raising up to a different level. That's worthy. My friends, you and I cannot afford, especially in these last days, to lose our peace. Because peace is not a feeling. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us so that we know what's right or wrong when there's a sense of peace that He brings and births inside of us. It's why we need to realize those lifting our hands need to first agree on the foundation stone on which our relationship is going to rest upon. Aaron and her were not confused. They weren't bringing multiple stones. Moses didn't have one butt cheek on one stone and one butt cheek on another. They said, this is the stone. This is the only stone. This is the stone you're going to rest upon. Come on, somebody. This is what we're going to build upon. There's no arguing. It's Jesus and his word. That is, what, that is what will define health and wholeness. There's not cultural identity. There's not generational concepts. It's not opinion or desire. This is, it's Jesus and his word. And I know we might not like it, but this is what it says. Why? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed and good for teaching and correcting. Why? Because we have some things that need correction, rebuking. we got to rebuke some stuff from our inside and training so that we can live in righteousness. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It helps me to see myself for who I'm created to be and a light unto my path. How to live this thing out. Proverbs 22.28 says, Don't move the ancient boundary stones that were set. It's, it's not, well, this is the 21st century, and that was good for them, but you got to understand now, no, no, there are boundary stones that God has put in place for what marriage looks like, come on, somebody, for what life looks like, for what health looks like, for what wholeness looks like, that we should not be moving. Because if we do, there's no peace. That's when Jesus says, just let your peace return to you. We don't have to actually shout them down, curse them out. We just have to know that there's no way to get in a relationship that can produce peace when the stones are different. The truth is, my friends, our arms are already weighed down naturally by the compounded grief we go through, the community of weariness that we all have, by the stress of life, just by our own fallen nature. So when we compromise on the word itself in order to keep peace, even though we'll never have peace that way, and we all know it, we actually add to the weight of the downward momentum of our own life. We think we're keeping it, we'll be happier, but we're adding to the downward momentum, and when Moses' hands fell, the enemy won. This is what happened with Delilah. Delilah, the word said that, that she was out of bounds for Samson. 
But he connected to her from his place of flesh. She was hot. She's the girl that I want. you got to understand, this is the kind of woman that I want. I've had all those. I, this is the woman I want. And maybe, just maybe, he was thinking that she could help him keep peace with her people, who are the Philistines. I think sometimes we hope that the person we know is out of bounds for us is going to help us keep peace with the other people, her people, their people, that opinion, those groups. It never does. It's why the Bible says in in Judges 16, 16, that that relationship vexed his soul to death. Have you ever been around people that just make you want to die? You're like, oh my gosh, you get away, you, you come away, you come away from that lunch you just had with them, you're like, man, you were like 100,000 pounds heavier now than ever, you're just like, I hate my life, I mean, this is hard, you have no hope, you're worried, you're stressed, you went in, you were happy, you were excited about what God's doing, and they talked you right out of it, right, you're like, oh, you are vexed to death, why do they have that access, why do they have that access, They are Delilah's. And when we allow Delilah's in our life, we will end up the same way as Samson did. Blind, broken, and bound up. And I think many of us in the, in the house of God have Samson anointings, but we actually are losing them because we have Delilah relationships. You will never, we will never in the house of God walk in the power of a Samson type of anointing that could bring down the house of the enemy when we still are establishing our daily lives in Delilah relationships. Peace is non-negotiable. And the reality is that Moses knew what a clear victory was. He understood what was clear in order to get victory. Because he allowed his expectations and his boundaries to be set from God. God established those things. Not generational norms or cultural philosophy. Not even his own opinions or his own desires. I think the issue, if we're honest, in our lives is so many times for us in marriage and in church and in family and in relationships is our messed up expectations. What is expected of me to make this relationship work. And many times those expectations either aren't clear or they're not from God. Or they're not from God. And the truth is what trips us up so often in our lives is those expectations. And we talk about this all the time in premarital counseling and relational counseling that there's always three types of expectations. Three types. And in, in every relationship there's three types of expectations. There's real and unreal. There's voiced and unvoiced. And there's met and unmet, right? And we need to understand how to build out of those relationships because you all have expectations. So how do we build from the right expectations? We first build from real expectations. Real expectations are set by God's word. They are set by God's word and agreed upon between the parties. I can assure you, Aaron and her were, not, uh, were very clear on what the expectations that, uh, that, they, that was, what was expected of them when they went up the hill to hold up. Moses' arms. They didn't get up there and go, I can't believe he wants me to hold up their arms. They knew when they went up the hill, this is the expectation. It was agreed upon. It was from God. The problem is a lot of times we get unreal expectations. Unreal expectations, all of us understand because if we've ever been married, uh, this, when, when you're heading to the wedding day, this is a great picture of unreal expectations. Because heading to the wedding day, 
The bride has great expectations of the wedding day. And the groom has great expectations of the wedding night. How many of you know both of them are probably unrealistic expectations? Right? Bada boom. No, no, no. Right? Unrealistic expectations. And then we're, we get offended. Wasn't what I wanted it to be. Unreal expectations. They don't only need to be real, but they need to be voiced. We actually need to have a voice. God spoke and it happened. So often, we live our lives and break our relationships out of unvoiced expectations. Why should I have to voice my expectations? They should just know. They should, ju- they, should ju- they should just know. If they loved me, they would know. No! God loves you and someone still had to tell you about it. Right? God did not create mind readers. He did not create, not everybody has the gift of prophecy. We have to voice them. And then sometimes, if we're honest, we're voicing them, but we're voicing them to the wrong people. Can I really encourage you, church, never complain to someone who doesn't have the power to change your situation? That is not voicing an expectation. That is gossip. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, unvoiced. And many times you ask with the wrong motives, unreal. Then we need to build from this met or unmet expectation. And that depends on us, how much we're willing to sacrifice, how much we're willing to choose others rather than ourselves. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? To love God with everything you've got and love a neighbor as yourself. Is that real? Yes. Is it easy? No. Was it voiced? Certainly. Did he make you guess? No, not at all. Is it going to be met or unmet? I don't know. That's up to you. But at times, I think it's not just the expectations that trip us up. The expectations with exceptions. Because I think the challenge for many of us, especially in our modern world today, is that we tend to allow exceptions to the expectations. Like family. Like people that we've known for a long time. I mean, these are people I grew up with. These are the people that just get me. Or maybe they're the people that hurt us most. And we allow them to start setting the expectations for our life and wonder why there's no peace. I just need to really encourage you, and maybe you can wrestle with this word that's in, the, in, in Hebrews, because it's really a command. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, throw off every weight that entangles you. Throw off every weight that entangles you. Throw off every weight that entangles you, so that you can run the race that God has for you. It doesn't say throw off every race unless, throw off every weight, unless, except if it's family, except if it's a good friend, except if it's a homeboy that you grew up with. It says throw off every weight that entangles you. Everyone that's close enough, everything that's close enough to drag your arms down. We can see it in the word. Jonathan, with, 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 in the relationship with Jonathan and David, Jonathan was King Saul's son. He goes to David and says, David, I want to let you know my daddy's trying to kill you. Jonathan chose godliness over family. Jonathan chose godliness over family. And so did Jesus. Mark chapter 3. Jesus' mother and brothers are coming to him to get him because they think they lost his mind. They're outside. They can't get in the house. Somebody says to Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. And he says, who are my mother and brothers? Then he clarifies that question, the answer to that for all of us. Those who do the will of God, that's my family. Those
those who do, not unless, not except, but you've got to understand, I come from an Italian background or a German background, or man, well, I'm, I'm, in, in, in our Latino community, we don't do that, or I'm from the South, or you, you can because you're from the North. No, there's no exceptions. This is the word of God. And this takes courage, my friends, to break from the herd, to go against conventional ideology. But peace and health and victory are worth it for all of us. And ultimately, Moses understood the role of those around him. He didn't bring everybody up to the hill with him. He knew that although love never changes, intimacy does. We've taught this before in this house. If you've been here for a while, you understand what I'm going to teach. But sometimes, especially in our generation, we confuse love with intimacy. That's why we say things that are idiotic like this. I've got 6,000 friends on Facebook. No, you don't. You know like three people. And they're from high school. You haven't talked to them in 25 years. Come on, somebody. That's my friend. No, they knew you when you were 16. If you were the same person now that you were 16, something's wrong. You've changed. I hope so. I'm 55. I graduated before many of you were born. And what we do is we bring everybody up to the top of the hill. We've got two people holding up our arms and a thousand people pulling them down. And we wonder why our lives don't have peace or joy or we're tired or we're weary or we're broken or we're in pain. I know why. The Amalekites are winning. Jesus loved everybody, but he had boundaries of of relational intimacy with people. Jesus had his three, Peter, James, and John. Then he had his 12, his disciples. Then he had 72 other disciples that came and went. Then he had a crowd of people. He loved everybody equally, but he did not share himself with everybody equally. You can love everyone equally and not give everybody the same access to who you are. Like Matthew 17, they go up the Mount of Transfiguration, he brings Peter, James, and John. He didn't pick some rando out of the crowd and bring him up and go, oh, he would have freaked out. Right? This is a picture for you and I. I think what will help us in this, and it's something that we haven't really taught in church as a whole, I don't think, in our modern world, is that we have to understand the difference between someone being our assignment and someone being in alignment in our life. An assignment is what we are meant to be to them. An alignment is what we are meant to be together. Marriage is an alignment. Church, come on somebody, is an alignment. Discipleship is an alignment. But when we get it wrong, it messes us up. I was supergluing something the other day. And uh, have any of you ever superglued something, by the way, the other day, and you got more on your fingers than you did on the object? And then your fingers are stuck together, but the object's still broken? But that's what happens when we get out of alignment, when we do this wrong. We're stuck to something that we shouldn't be stuck to, and the object, our joy, our peace, our relationship, is still broken. And we're wondering why it's still broken. We got the super glue out, yep, but you didn't put it in the right place. And if these people are our assignment, then we we need to play our part, our part, our part, to be what God has called us to be in their journey towards him. Our part. Say with me, our part, our part, not the part, our part. Like, I, today's the Super Bowl, right? And I know, I know this is a fact, 
like when Jalen Hurts turns around and gives the ball to Miles Sanders, Jason Kelsey knows his assignment. He is not going to turn around and try to help uh, Miles run. He's not going to make sure he's pumping his legs up and down. He's not going to tell him which hole to pick. He's not going to shame him when he doesn't pick the right hole. Jason Kelsey understands what dude to block because he knows his assignment. And then he has to trust everyone else on the team to do their assignment. But even in that, he still has to trust, it's up to Miles, to run the race. It's not my job to make sure they get saved. It's my job to understand the assignment I have to help them see Jesus. Moses, my friends, lived among these people. He still loved them all. He still made them, he still made sure they had food and water to eat. But he knew who to and who not to take up to the top of that hill. Not just for himself, but for them too. Because the wrong positioning of either will bring harm to them both. Sometimes it is not someone else's fault that there's harm in the relationship. It's mine. Because I brought them to the top of the hill when I shouldn't have. Because I treated them like a three when they were a 72. It doesn't mean they're less valuable. Jesus was himself. He proclaimed himself to everyone. But he had intimacy differently with everyone. Let me just end with this. Because I want to leave you with some great hope in this. Because the beautiful thing about the end of this story, and if we're willing to take some of these risks is that how we engage in the relations of life will give us new revelations about life itself. Moses saw God differently then than he ever saw him before. But when you and I try to negotiate with the Amalekites, when we try to keep the peace, when we allow the enemy to stay in close proximity in our relationships, it produces doubt, it, 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 it opens up our life to fear, we, we start to give in, we end up being like the, the lame man by the pool, do you remember him? He, Jesus, Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be made well? What's his response? I don't know, Jesus, been here a really long time, this is the way it's been a long time in my life, I don't got nobody else, everybody has somebody, I've got nobody. It changed the way that he declared about his future, it changed what he declared about his future, and it changed the way he saw his future. How we respond, I don't know Jesus, man I've been to church before, and I've just been hurt, and I've just been let down, and I've just been around people, and I just don't know. Yeah, 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 I understand that, but he who isolates himself seeks his own destruction. Put that against Paul. Paul, he's a killer of the church. One of the most famous mass murderers in history. Comes to know Jesus, doesn't think anybody's going to accept him. Thinks everybody's going to be against him. But there was one brother by, by the name of Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, who takes him with him to the apostles. Does not go to the apostles for him. Does not send him alone to the apostles and say, good luck. He goes and stands in the gap with him, with the apostles. He stands with him because it was a God thing. He lifted him up. And now Paul declares this, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm an Apostle of the Lord God Almighty. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. How what he declared about his future and how he saw his future.
was different because of who was holding up his hands. If we respond like Moses, these moments have the power to leave us declaring something differently than we ever have about our God. And maybe that is one of the things that we can glean the most. It's not just to live in victory and health and peace. Those things are important. But we get something different to say about our God. He is Yahweh Nisi, Moses declares for the first time over his people. He's my banner. He's my truth. He's my refuge. He's my deliverer. He's the mighty warrior dressed for battle. He never leaves me. He'll never forsake me. He's faithful. He's good. He lifts me, my arms up when I grow weary. He teaches me to run and not faint. He lifts me up out of the miry pit. He puts my feet on a new rock. He actually puts a new song in my heart that I may praise him with everything I've got. Therefore, everything that I've got, praise the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, there are revelations of who he is and who he's trying to be in us and through us into the world around us that we're missing because we're bringing everybody up to the top of the hill with us and wondering why there are more pulling them down than lifting us up. The questions we have to answer, who's going to be on the hill with us? Who will we trust to set the boundary stones for those moments? Because those answers will not only affect our moments, but they will influence our future, our future with others, our future with God, and our future with God's people. I promise you, my friends, if you will put the praise of God on one hand, and you will put the high priest on the other, and you will let the praise of God, the Spirit of God, lift you up, and you will let the high priest and his sacrifice be the guide that holds you. And you will sit upon the rock unmoved, not with one cheek in and one cheek out. There's one rock. And I'm going to be established on him. And if I am established on him, the Bible says Moses' hands did not grow weary. I don't know about you. This life has made me weary, not because the rock doesn't work, but because I got too many people close to me that are dragging my hands down and not enough praise and high priest lifting them up. That's the choice that you have. That's it. So today, here's the choice. Who's going to lift your hands? And who are you going to lift your hands with? I pray that you make it Jesus. And I pray that if you've been one hand in and one hand out, one cheek in, one cheek out, one foot in and one foot out today, step over the line. Come on, step over. Stop trying to keep peace with your broken soul. Your brokenness and your soul will never lead you to peace. Peace is a result of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in the godliness and holiness of your life. Step full in. Let's pray. My friends, we're just going to pray. And I, I'm actually going to pray this morning for us. And maybe today, if you 
are there and saying, I just want to be full in. You just, you just add your voice inside. You just say it to God inside. Just say, God, I'm agreeing with what pastor's saying. I need you. I, I'm, I'm choosing to understand what, what your word is. And, I, I, and, and Lord God, help me to open up my eyes to see the Amalekites and the Delilahs around me. And God, this isn't about who they are. It's about who I am. So God, change me. I've had one foot in, one cheek out. Lord God, I, I, I want to be full in for you. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I pray over every person in this room. Everyone here, everyone online, everyone who's listening to this podcast, in the name of Jesus, we pray. We break the bonds. We break the generational curses. We break the, 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 the familial ties, Lord God, that actually have bound people throughout their lives to believing one thing. And we separate those things from our thinking today. We open up our, our hearts. We open up our soul. We open up our mind to your, wor- to your word today. We say, above all things, that we are settled on the rock of Jesus Christ. We are unmoved and unmovable. We will not negotiate our peace in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will multiply our peace, that you will open our eyes to see where the enemy's schemes are working and have been working, and we come against them in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let every generational curse be shattered in Jesus' name. Let every generational lie, ideology, and philosophy outside of your word be shattered in Jesus' name. Let us understand that all we need is a relationship with you, with God's people, with your, with your Aaron, with your her, that you have to lift up our hands. And we decide today to live our life full on for Jesus Christ. We refuse to negotiate peace. We refuse to negotiate peace. And in saying that, Daddy, we're saying that we trust you to be our peace. You are not just Yahweh Nisi. You are Yahweh Shalom. Peace and wholeness and health and holiness itself. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Forgive us of the times that we were a part of breaking others. Forgive us, Father, from the times that we have brought the wrong people to the top of the hill because we haven't first stopped and got guidance from you. Forgive us, God, not for being open, but actually for working out of brokenness. We need you. We need you. We need you. And we surrender to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you receive that today? Do you receive it? Well, church, we got one last thing to do before we leave church today and before we go uh, get extra calories. I'm embarrassed from what my uh, grocery bill was yesterday, just buying, right? Anyone else like me, sometimes you go to the grocery store, you're like, I'm just going to get a couple things. Here's my problem. Here's my problem. I've got a thousand of those recyclable bags in the back of my car. I tell myself I'm only going to buy one bag worth. I'm just going to get a couple. I take one bag, right? And then I'm walking out like I'm a juggler at the zoo, right? I'm like, what? Anyway, Pastor Ron, come on, come on, give Pastor Ron a hand. It's just coming up, man. I love this dude. He's fantastic. It's a Philly thing. Yes. Good morning, everybody. So glad to be here today, Woo! and let's just thank Pastor Kyle again. He's always giving us a word. 
of health and life for our bodies, for the way that we can walk out together uh, in Christ. And so I just want to continue to encourage us this morning in the giving of tithes and offerings. And on the screen, you'll see the ways that you can give today. There's envelopes all around us today. You can fill out an envelope and drop that into the, the containers that are on the way out the door. Or you can point your camera to the QR code. It'll take you to a place where you can give online as well. So it's so good to be with you. And, I, you know, I am in Philly with my wife. And this is our first time wearing a matching outfit, actually. Because <laughs> we are a Philly thing. Oh. All right? That's <laughs> but, true. You know, one thing that I, you know, I followed Jalen Hurts, and the one thing that I was so encouraged by learning about him is that regardless of the circumstances that surrounded him, he had the integrity and the discipline to go on every day just doing the, the right things to prepare him to be the best quarterback he could be. He was in bad positions, and he had all kinds of things going on around him, even this year as a, as a quarterback, yet he stuck to his discipline plan. And, you know, Paul encourages us the same way. Pastor Kyle mentioned it earlier that Paul told us that we can run a race, right? Now, how many of you know that if I, and I know this, if I were to try to run a race tomorrow, there's no way that I'm going to win it, right? I may be barely able to get over the finish line, right? I'm that out of shape. But if I plan three months ahead and I started to put in the work of running that race, I could live like Paul says, which is to live as if you're going to win it and obtain the prize, right? So God encourages us to do that as disciples. He has a winning methodology for us. And that is, as a disciple, I'm encouraged to pray. I'm encouraged to worship. I'm encouraged to give thanks. And I'm encouraged to give. To give them my time. To give them my tithe. To give them my testimony to other people. And then when we give, we can understand that God supplies all our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus. So we can understand that we walk our lives out as disciples. We give. We encourage others. We carry the light, right, men? We carry the light into places that God calls us to be. So let's remember that, church, today as we give, that we actually take a step, and, and as part of being a disciple, we are not only building our own lives when we give, we're building the entirety of Christ's body. Because as we give, that resources the body to do more and more. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we're just so thankful for who you are today. We're thankful that you call us to be disciples, that each day, regardless of what we may be going through, that we are to train up, we're to pray, we're to worship, we're to give you thanks, and we're to give into the lives around us, Lord. So help us to do that today. And we thank you that you supply all that we have to be able to give to others. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, church. Work, Go really Eagles. Good. Yeah. E-A-G-L-E-S. All right. Hey, church, why don't we stand together? Let me just pray over you. Blessing. A double portion blessing today. I don't know about you, but the Bible actually talks about a double portion. I'm going to believe that in your life. And it's not because we deserve a double portion. It's because his sacrifice enabled it to happen in our life. So now may the love of the Lord God Almighty, may the power of his spirit, may the overflow of his goodness, may his anointing be doubled in your life. May the power, signs, and wonders of the Holy Spirit be manifest in you today, tonight, and this week. May the wisdom of His Spirit guide you. May His Word order your footsteps as He orders the footsteps of the righteous. May you be clothed from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet in the armor of God. May you be wise to see the schemes of the enemy. And may you use the sword of the Spirit against it. May you stand in the favor and in the faithfulness of our God. And may you know that he will never leave you and never forsake you. That he and he alone is the king of glory and should receive it all in Jesus' name. And now, may the Eagles beat that team from Kansas City. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. Amen, God bless you guys. That's Ron said, E-A-G-L, E-S, Eagles, let's go. Have fun tonight. Be safe. Don't climb grease poles.